All right, so shout out to two doofs in a duffel bag for two inspiring duffel us. Bag. Nathan and Alex Harper. If you guys like sports radio, <laughs> these two are hilarious. <laughs> I, I, I thoroughly enjoy listening to them. And they, they know their stuff too, which is great. Yeah. They've got some videos out there of them setting up and whatnot. It's pretty funny. Well, so. we're following in their path, so we'll see how this works out. So we, this is my brother, Jared. I'm Jake. We're called, uh, back when Ocean's Eleven came out, close family and friends referred to us as the two Mormon boys <laughs> from the movie because we used to fight all the time. Pretty sure you were the one driving the uh, the big truck, you know, in that scene. <laughs> At that point, yeah. Yeah, I was driving the A few the years later, control. you would have been the one driving the big truck, and I would have been the one driving the remote you control just truck. just run over my re- remote control <laughs> RC truck. You I were the smarter of the two of us back slowly then. Slowly put so. down the <laughs> in antenna. The, in the little bit of the more nerdy one. <laughs> then we flipped, we swapped places. Anyway, we wanted nerd. to, so our podcast is called, what is it called? Chin straps. And baseball caps. And baseball caps. Jared played football in high school. I was afraid of brittle bones and... <laughs> I should have been afraid of it. Them turning into dust by bigger people. So I did not play. Um, I did not have the capacity to put on that type of size of muscle. So, oh, you could have done it. But anyway, uh, baseball is kind of more my passion. Um, I think a goal of our podcast, what we wanted to do, was take lessons that we learn from sports and apply them to our lives. And there's a little bit of background to that. Um, you know, why don't you go ahead and kind of describe what you would like to get out of this? Well, you know, I think it's interesting. You, I think in sports, you can relate, um, any aspect of sports to life, you know? Yeah. I mean, we all go through hard times. We all go through great times, you know? And, uh, I think back of the times that I was playing football and some of the team meetings that we had and some of the really funny moments and also really hard moments, you know, coming off of a loss the next week, you've got to figure out how to build up your team again. I mean, I, I don't know if I could ever be a coach for that reason. Yeah. Trying to build up your team. I mean, let's say you're even out of the playoffs. I look at, so I'm a huge BYU football fan, right? Mm-hmm. And I look at them and their situation. They're not in a conference. They're not, um, <laughs> they really don't have anything to, to play for if they lose a few games. You or know? a game. Or a game. Yeah. Right. I mean, maybe a bowl game, but how many times can you go to the Las Vegas Bowl and be satisfied? <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, with the new stadium, maybe a lot, but well, but yeah, they probably won't get. Probably doesn't even play anymore with the new stadium for them, right? But, you know, being a coach in in any circumstance, but especially in theirs, has got to be really tough. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't want to do it. So I think just comparing, you know, the life of of an athlete and the life of these coaches and and sports and the fans and. You know, I was listening to um, a radio show the other day, and they were talking about March Madness. And I guess when I think I think it was Cincinnati lost, it showed the kids just bawling their eyes out, several of them, because their team lost. And people You're talking were, about fans, yeah, yeah. And people were making you know either making fun of them or criticizing uh, CBS for showing them. <laughs> and I'm like, well, geez, these kids actually have passion. They're passionate about about their team. You know, their team just lost, and they're they're heartbroken over it. I 
I think that's great. I mean, there's life lessons that can be learned from that, from something really hard, from, you know, a fan's perspective, perspective, a coach's perspective, a player's perspective, you know, even, even someone who isn't interested in sports, there's something to, to be learned. Well, we have a tradition in my house that we started a couple years ago where we will watch famous baseball movies um, right nice. before opening day. So one of the ones that we watch is Fever Pitch. That's a good one. Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. And he talks about, I can't remember the exact quote, but his uncle tells him, you know, kind of beware of the Red Sox. They'll rip your heart out. I mean, they'd been in that long, long streak mm-hmm. of, you know, the the curse of the Bambino. And it's, it's so true is the passion you have as a fan. I'm a Dodger fan and the World Series was <laughs> really tough to get over. Oh, Especially man. for a fan, how ridiculous that kind of is. But pretty sure I sent you some pretty mean memes after that. Yes, you did. <laughs> but um, you know, I think you can probably talk a little bit more to this too. Is I think in a three-hour sporting event or two hours, whatever sport you're watching, you can see kind of a whole cycle of what life is like. Absolutely. Uh, the challenges you run run into, where you just kind of at times feel like you've gotten curb stomped, and you know, how difficult that is to try and bounce back from and not be discouraged and come back. I mean, you've seen a lot of athletes that their careers, you know, when they've lost that big game or whatever, it's just they, they can't bounce back. Right. And right. athletes that do, you know, they just don't get beat very often. And, and what it's like, you know, what's the the difference in mentality between the two and, you know, how do they approach it? That's so much different. So I think it's a fascinating thing. Um Kind of the reason that I wanted to approach it is have had uh, social anxiety my entire life and didn't really know or understand the feeling or what it was or, you know, why I had it. It was just, to me, very intense butterflies in the stomach that just never went away. Right. And you couldn't sleep. You couldn't hardly eat or anything like that. And um, came to a head. I went and got a graduate degree. So Jared knows this story, but... Pursued a graduate degree, it was a two-year program, and in between year one and year two, I was kind of at my breaking point. My wife said, why don't you go see a movie, you know, take the day, relax, you know, just just take some time off. So I did, went into the, about halfway through the movie, got up to go use the restroom, and went in the restroom and blacked out and hit the floor, and had no idea what, what just happened, or why it happened, or anything like that, and um, went to the urgent care and everything checked out. I got a clean bill of health and, um, start realized that I was kind of in some trouble. So, uh, looked to get some help. And I think my hypothesis is, is that I'd had a panic attack and was holding my breath and it dropped me. So Hmm. real fun experience, but, uh, reason I love sports is that there's so many lessons that you can learn from sports and the, the athletes that we admire so much. It is entertainment and it, you know, I think we can learn a lot from it. So I think my goal from this podcast is to help people that might be in similar positions to me or or to what I was and realize that you can reach out for help or find other ways to cope or, or whatever. And we'll probably talk, you know, mostly sports, but maybe some other things too that we'll bring in every once in a while. But, you know, that's kind of my goal or my hope for our, for what we're going to do here. Yeah. You know, I find it, I find it fascinating the way that we, I mean, just like you said, you, you, you applied those situations, um, 
to the sports that you love so much, to your Dodgers. <laughs> God, they're about to kick. Um, but, well, I'm an Angels fan, so I'm not doing much better. Game but seven I, of the World Series, buddy. Hey. Game seven. <laughs> loss is a loss. <laughs> um, but I think of, like, for example, the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were at a point where they were chucking snowballs at Santa Claus. <laughs> I mean, their fans were so fed up. They had had it with their team, but they never gave up on them, which is really interesting to me. You know, some of these teams that I, I, I worked with a guy, um, I just started a new job, but in my last job, I worked with a guy who was a huge Cincinnati Bengals fan. Oh, geez. And I just asked him, I said, how can you be a Bengals fan? I mean, this is a team that plays for <laughs> a number one draft every year. Yeah. And how is that working out for them? Not quite the Browns, but not quite. Close. But geez, they're pretty well in the same category there. They've I actually mean, been to the Super Bowl, but have not won. They, they have been. You're right. Um, but you're right. It's a you're kind of a glutton for punishment. And the, and they went to the playoffs a few years ago mm-hmm. and lost in the first round, I believe. But what do they do. Oh, I can't remember. They they. Anyway, I, just, I, I I look at those kind of situations and I think, why would you ever? ever put yourself through that yeah i mean man if you have a choice but then in life it's like well sometimes we don't have choices sometimes we just have to go through things and i think that those bad teams like the browns the Bengals, you know they they help us overcome some of that because we think okay well if they can overcome it because every single season it's a clean slate every single season it's oh we're we're the cincinnati Bengals and we're going to the super bowl this year uh, probably not, but you can hope. I mean, like I said, I'm a BYU fan. Every year, it's like, well, is BYU going to be going to be the the team that gets into one of the big bowl games, or when the BCS was around, is BYU going to be the BCS buster this year? There was always those articles. BYU has a great chance. BYU has this. Um, yeah, and Sports Illustrated almost every year. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because they always look good on paper, but then there's just something wrong. Something goes wrong. And BYU is notorious for tearing themselves down. I mean, there's stories and stories and stories of them getting down on the, on, on themselves. Yeah. You know? Well, I think, uh, you know, I mean, talking about the mentality of sports and the different things like that, you know, I think you can apply a lot of those lessons to life and the different situations. You know, we as fans put ourselves through a lot of pain and <laughs> anguish for that one payoff. I mean, you look at the Cubs, 108, 100, I think it was 108 years. Yeah. And I mean, they were horrible a couple of years ago. I mean, horrible. Right. They, they hired Theo Epstein and he came and kind of ripped the whole thing down and started over. And that's when they got, you know, I think Rizzo was already in the, the organization, but you know, Chris Bryant, different things like that. Right. Signed uh, John Lester and, built that thing from the ground up and that's what basically what the Astros did. You know, I've been a Dodgers fan, they did the opposite. They spent, <laughs> you know, 300 million dollars and filled their lineup um with a lot of aging stars but right. but good players and came back and built it back that way. So it was a good experience uh you know in their regard of building their team and and they've gotten but they haven't gotten to the promised land. But, I mean, you think of even the athletes, and I think, you know, what I would like to share is the lessons that I learned from watching sports. And 
I uh, like to read about sports and different things. There's one athlete that I will, the minute if he ever writes a book, uh, Clayton Kershaw, I mm-hmm. will absolutely purchase that book. And, uh, you know, it's it's definitely something that I want to read. One of the reasons is, is that um, the guy works so hard. He's meticulous in how he works in what he does and, and how he does it. And, you know, he talks about, uh, they asked him before the season started, you know, you never talk about injury. And I believe he gave the two reasons. He said, well, you either talk about injury for one of two reasons. You're either using it as an excuse for your poor performance <laughs> or you want people to feel sorry for you. I don't see the sense in that. And I think uh, he's been an example to me and I've hit some, you know, challenging times where I've got the butterflies. I can't seem to kick them. And he talked about, you know, right after they lost the World Series, what are you supposed to do? You know, you can't sit there and wallow in it or, or cry about it. You just got to get back up and, and go to work. And, yeah. you know, like I mentioned earlier, opening day is kind of a holiday in our in our home. Um, you know, we are really stoked for it, excited for it. So they start off with the Giants and Bumgarner, unfortunately, um, broke his hand. So, you know, took a line right. drive off the off his throwing hand, I believe, and so he's out. So the Giants, you know, have a kind of a last minute plan to to put this pitcher in because they ramp up all spring to get on this schedule to prepare for the season. So um, I think his name was Block. Um, came in, pitched a great game. Well, you have Kershaw who gave up eight hits. He got into two different jams. If you're not aware of baseball, a jam is when you have people in scoring position with you know zero or one outs. Uh, it's high likelihood of scoring. You know, and he gets. Uh, I think he did it three innings in a row, at least two, and um, you know, s- s- uh, tricked the hitter into hitting into a double play. He relies on his teammates, gets out of his jam, double play. You know, it gets out of there. And so he pitches a great game and kind of, you know, comparing it to life. You go through these ebbs and flows in life where you hit a challenge and you have to rely on other people to kind of help you out or or a bit of luck and different situations to get out of it. And, you know, there's a lot of parallels to that to me about Kershaw getting out of these jams. He relies on his teammates to do so and, and uh, gets out of these jams. So he goes through and he's pitching a great game. And then, uh, you know, Joe Panic comes up and snuck a home run, I mean, just feet around the foul pole. Uh, he had no belief that it was going fair and hit a home run. And, I mean, Kershaw was, he wasn't near perfect. He would probably be the first one to say he didn't have his best stuff. But, uh, you know, really good pitching. Um, got out of some jams, and he still loses. He's still one of the best pitchers in the league, for right. sure. And he loses one nothing. I mean, come on. You you can't your team yeah. can't score two runs so you lose one nothing you give up one run right and you lose and you know sometimes in run. life you're perfect or near perfect and you still lose you right. know but I know Kershaw if you read about Kershaw and his work ethic the dude is up the next day you know he ties his shoes at the same time every day he's just meticulous in his work habits and I would guarantee you he didn't take that loss. And, and let it impact how much he's going to go work the next day. And I think in life it's an important lesson to learn that you can attack every day as a new day. Yeah. And every opportunity is a new opportunity to win, even if yesterday was a loss or, or whatever. So thought it was a real cool uh, situation. 
Well, and I think that's what makes Michael what made Michael Jordan such an amazing basketball player. I mean, he worked his tail off. Yeah. He was always in there practicing and, and making sure that that the jumper from this point of the court was perfect and then he'd move on to the next mm-hmm. and the next and he was always working his butt off. But when he came up short, he never let it affect him. You know. Well, I'm not gonna say never, but most of the time he didn't let it affect him. He always just went out and and affect him in a negative way, I guess is the best way to put that. Well he came in the league as not a jump shooter. Right. And not a defender. Right. It was like an athletic gift and flipped both of those. Exactly. To being, you know, I mean, arguably one of the best. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my high school football coach said something to me one time. I was in a situation where, um, man, it was a hot summer day. I didn't really want to be there. I was, you know, you're a high school student. You're kind of lazy. You're kind of just like. <laughs> no. Right. Yeah. So I, I, we're out at football practice. It's 95 degrees outside. And, and um Every day, you'd hear those dreaded words line up. When those words are said, it's, oh, it's time for conditioning. It's time to run. <laughs> Look, people, I hate running. It is the worst thing in the world. I mean, there's a reason why when football was over and McDonald's was open late, I chose McDonald's instead of running. <laughs> I mean, I do not like running at all. It is not fun for me. It's I don't know how it could be fun for anybody. But I remember before that happened... Um, I had gotten hit or in, in a in a tackle, I don't know, something. I twisted my neck, and I was kind of laying there, honestly, in hopes that the trainers would come and, you know, keep me out of running. Say, oh, yeah, you, you twisted your neck. You need to sit out. And then as the trainers are, are walking over to me, all I hear is, is my head coach yelling out, Dallin, get up. You poor dumb bugger. And get back in the game. So I, okay. I got up and not five minutes later, later line up. Oh, crap. Okay. I guess this is, this is my life now. I have people around me that aren't going to let me fall. They're not going to let me stay down. And, and that was, that was a huge life lesson to me. You know, I, I it, it it served me well in a lot of areas in my life, and I've talked about it for years and years. Um, and I think that the people that allow others to help them up, even though they feel like a loser, even though they feel down in the dumps, even though their neck may hurt, they're the winners. Yeah, you know, they're the ones that are getting up and and winning the the big games. They're the ones that in the fourth quarter, in the ninth inning. They're the ones that are making the plays because they are letting people around them help them. And I think that's absolutely key in our lives to making sure that we surround ourselves with the best people Mm -hmm. and allow those people to come in, even when it seems uncomfortable, because at times it's going to be uncomfortable. You know, it's not going to be the easiest thing in the world to have someone say, look, you just got to get up and get back in the game. Yeah. I think another aspect of it too is being able to be coachable. And I know absolutely you know, I didn't get to see a lot of your games, but that's what you know, our dad talked a lot about was your ability to go over to the coach and Well, you were in a different country, so Right. And look for improvement. But right. uh, I mean not not to go back and harp on the Kershaw thing, but that was the other thing is he came in as a first round pick to the Dodgers. Um, you know, he had all this hype 
I remember the hype surrounding him and he came in and he had a good first game, I believe. I can't remember the exact thing, but he ended up getting lit up like two games in a row. And the coaches took him and, and basically stopped him and said, look, you're throwing your fastball way too much. You got to rely on your curve. You got to rely on, you know, some other pitches. If you're a one pitcher, if you're a one pitch pitcher, you know, you're not going to make it. Right. And again, if anyone's unaware of baseball, one, you know, pitchers have two or three, sometimes four pitches that they've mastered that they're capable of throwing at any point uh, to throw off the batter. And, you know, he tried to do that and, and, or tried to kind of come in as a fastball, majority fastball pitcher. And, you know, he was willing to listen and worked on his curveball and then worked on his slider and got to the point where he was, you know, he's got one of the nastiest curves. If you're ever bored at night, go YouTube <laughs> Clayton Kershaw curveball and watch the batters look like they feel like they're going to get hit and they duck out of the the batter's box and the th- ball drops in for a strike just perfectly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating. But it's the ability to be coached. You know, I mean, it's you mentioned just being able to get up, but it's also the, the ability to be taught that what you're doing is wrong or how you can improve it or whatever. So get up when the things are really bad, but also be willing to listen to how to improve upon those situations you know i mean if it's injury it's one thing but if it's you know getting pounded uh in a in a sporting event or something like that it's something else yeah i I think to that point as well there are those athletes out there i mean look they know who they are terrell owens is one of them they're the they're the athletes that just have the most unbelievable god-given talent period but they're just flat out not coachable I mean, their coach says something to them, they'll sit down. Or in some cases, take a knee. Or <laughs> or go work out at home. Yeah, or go Do work out Do sit-ups on your driveway you know, and you won't I, listen to your coach. I find that, you know, the, there's a reason why Terrell Owens had a great career for a while. He could have had a much longer career. In my opinion, this is Hall you know, of Famer. my opinion. But he could have been so much better. I mean, when he went to the Cowboys... I thought that he was he was going to be a master. And well, he definitely, I mean, you look at the level of, you know, you have Randy Moss, who I'm not sure exactly was coachable at Minnesota. Right. You know, he had this raw, God-given talent, but he wasn't ex- exactly, a, you know, coachable. But then he goes to New England, and he fits, you know, plugs into Belichick's system. At the same time, the Owens was kind of post-Eagles reaching his heyday. Mm-hmm. And the two didn't even compare. Right. I mean, their statistics might have been comparable, but Moss was performing at a very high level for the best team in football. You know, yeah. I mean, I I don't believe he ever won a, a Super Bowl with them, but well, even even just someone from the real past, Jerry Rice. Yeah. I mean, the guy was unbelievable, but he was also coachable, not just from his coach, but he had great quarterbacks that he worked with, and they both learned from each other. They learned about each other. And it wasn't just, you throw me the ball, I'll catch it and score. It was, what can we do to better ourselves, better our team, better the people around us? We talk about meticulous work ethic and being able to approach every day. Rice went from Montana to Young. You know, Montana's a right-hander, Young's a left-hander. And he's so focused on the ball that Young throwing left-handed and having the ball spiraled in the opposite direction threw him off. 
So what does he do? I mean, he can complain about it or whine about it or kind of blame, you know, any kind of his... No, he goes and gets left-handed people to throw to him all day long so he can get rid of or get used to seeing the ball come out and spin a different direction. And, you know, I mean, I can't imagine being that perfected in my craft that you see the, the, the way the ball spins impacts whether or not you're able to, you know, focus in on it or not, but to be that focused in, because you know, with him in his career, it's not that it was laziness or stupidity or anything like that. That's how dialed in he was. Right. Right. And to switch gears a little bit, as far as, um, sports goes, let's briefly talk about Tiger Woods. I mean, here's a guy who is the best golfer, period, in the history of the game. He is the best. People can argue with me all day long. (laughs) Go for it. He's the best. And he falls off the face of the earth. He has some personal trials. He's got some scandals, whatever you want to call it, that come out there. He had some injuries. Um, A lot of people said that he worked out too much and got too strong and it threw his swing off. Too big. Whatever it may be. Well... I'm pretty sure he's come in, what, second the last two tournaments, major tournaments? Not majors, but big tournaments. Right. I mean, everyone everyone I'm talking to now, all these the same people that were saying, oh, Tiger Woods, is, his career's over, he's the worst, he'll never, he'll never golf on that level again. All of a sudden, they're texting me and tweeting me and saying, Tiger's back. I'm like, well, no kidding, he's back. <laughs> you know, like him or not, personally, I don't really care. The guy has a work ethic that obviously shines. He can go out there and all of a sudden... Yeah, I didn't believe he'd come back. You know, I didn't think he'd ever get back to a, even close to what he was. But I didn't know if he would either, but even Vegas has him for the, the Masters, had him projected to come in the top 10 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Well, I think the mentality, too, of people, you know, and it's kind of talking uh, about what we wanted to get out of this podcast and kind of share with other people the the lifespan of a two or three hour sporting event depending on what sport you're watching you know you see these ebbs and flows and these you know kind of moments of victory and then moments of defeat throughout the whole game where you you know you face this diversity and you have to get over it and change you know address it the other thing is getting out of your own head and being able to look at the the grand picture you know the big picture of everything and yeah. See what it is, you know, take your, like the athletes that are dialed in that have that focus and, you know, the Patriots, definitely not my favorite team by any stretch of the imagination, but the <laughs> Super Bowl, you know, two years ago when they're playing the Falcons down 28 to three at the half. Right. And you have a situation where the Falcons basically could have stepped on their throat and it's over. And the Patriots just had this, you know, ultra focus. They got out of their own you know, minds for a little bit, looked at the big picture, kind of broke it down brick by brick, what they had to do to come back. And the Falcons, you know, you have the quarterback blaming the coordinator for not getting the plays in in time. And, you know, they start to kind of bicker and and fight about it. And you have a situation where they, truth be told, if they're going to be honest with it, I think they would say, we got in our own heads. You know, we stopped executing because we started to panic. And it's a situation where that lead disappeared and the cool thing as a fan is you can sit there and watch it. Um, you know, it's it sucks when you're it's not your team, or when it's the team you're rooting for that you see start to fall apart. But the Patriots start to come back, 
and you knew it was over. And I mean, they're still down, you know, by a couple touchdowns and you knew, you just knew they were going to find a way to come back and win the game. And I think if the, if the Falcons would have been able to stop them, it would have been a big shock to everybody. But you have that situation where you get out of your own head and you find a clear path to making up the difference that you've you failed at. And I think comparing that to life, everybody goes through some bad times and you have to get out of your own head and figure out, okay, brick by brick, how am I going to rebuild this to what I want it to be? Right. You know, it's, it's again, not my favorite team, but it's a it's an interesting way of looking at life as a team came roaring back and found a way to to win the game right with an immense amount of diversity well and there's there's always adversity not diversity right <laughs> <laughs> just from the you know looking at the patriots to look at Josh McDaniels you know he gets offered a head coaching job at the Colts takes it and then decides he's going back to the patriots they have a good enough system and a good enough program and, a, and obviously good enough support around each other. They work as a team. They work relatively well. I mean, there are those really hilarious videos of Tom Brady screaming at his coaches, which I find just super funny and watch them all the time. <laughs> but um, th- there's a reason why people want to be the Patriots. There's a reason why people hate the Patriots, too. I mean, we as a society, we we're very jealous people very jealous if our team isn't winning if we're not winning if we're not doing better than the next person we get jealous and we don't like them i mean look at people's reactions when they look at like social media facebook like what you're seeing on social media what you're seeing your friends post is the very best of their life they're not posting the hard times they're not posting the fact that they're on the bathroom floor in a movie theater because they had an anxiety (laughs) attack they're not going to post that they're going to post the pictures of their great adventure in Scotland or, you know, yeah. Scottsdale. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're going to do, you're going to see the very best of their life. And it's not, it's, it's our job as people to be happy for them and not get down over it. Yeah. It's our job as a people to do our very best not worry about what other people think, what they're doing, what they're saying, but just to continue forward. And in in some cases, when we're offered a great opportunity and it seems just absolutely unreal, and we see that there could be some very significant challenges that maybe we won't be able to overcome mm-hmm. ahead of that, maybe it's best that we turn around and, and take a book out, take a page out of uh, McDaniel's book, and go back to what what is right what fits and that's not to say don't try new things don't don't put yourself out there i mean i think that's wildly important to put yourself out there and try new things and to be creative but don't do it at the expense of yourself if you see something that isn't going to work you know there was an experience in my life um about oh geez almost eight years now um well, eight, eight and a half years now, where I was going through an experience. I was headed to a direction. I, have cho- I had chosen a path, and I knew that it wasn't right. And I was thinking, man, how do I get out of this? And instead of taking a step back and realizing I can't go down this road, I went down the road, and I made my bed, and I had to sleep in it. And for about seven and a half years, 
I was in a very toxic situation in my life. And once that ended, I was able to see, okay, I, I should have listened. Yeah. I should have paid attention. I should have taken a step back. And I should have gone back to what was right. I should have gone back to fit and tried again, you know, but I, I didn't. And I, I paid for it significantly. But now that it's over and I can see I learned from it and I don't regret any of it. I'm happy that it's over, but I can, uh, I can move forward and, and be very happy again. I've never thought of the McDaniels situation like that, but well, people think he's just a a jackass for it, but (laughs) I'm sure Colts fans are. Oh, absolutely. Well, they're, they're ticked. They were excited to get to watch how bad he, he, you know, flared out at in Denver. Yeah, and then to go back and kind of rebuild his career in New England. I don't actually, you know, the I'm a 49er fan too, which is a weird combination with the Dodgers. <laughs> but you know, grew up where there's no professional sports, so I get to pick who I want to be a fan of. But um, you know, the Niners before they hired Shanahan, they were looking at McDaniel's and, right. and interviewing him. I thought, oh, geez, what what does this guy offer? I mean, I <laughs> have how many offensive coordinators has bill belichick gone through right and how many of them do you actually know their name i mean you know mcdaniels but it's belichick's system right it's just kind of fitting cogs in it with brady of course you know i mean but i don't i didn't ever understand so it might have been you know it's an interesting way of thinking about it with mcdaniels that it may have been you know something he realized like this probably isn't the right fit you know i'm I'm probably not prepared to do this. But, you know, one thing that I've learned from, you know, it's kind of two things, but they apply in the same way is with dealing with social anxiety, you know, it's kind of uh, looking at the world and understanding that you don't know what anybody else is going through. Right. Um, You just don't understand what people are going through. And it's one of the most important things. The other thing is I think it's important, and it goes across the board on everything, you have to believe that everybody is doing the best that they can. And that may mean, you know, they're, they're doing very little because it's so their lives are, are, you know, engulfed in, you know, frustration or tragedy or whatever, but right. that they're doing the best that they possibly can. And, you know, you talk about people that get jealous of other people's success. And I was thinking about the, um, one of the reasons why it's rumored, I'm not sure how well reported it is, or how fact-based it is because of the sources of, you know, how secretive this meeting would have been. But the fact that the 49ers got Jimmy Garoppolo from the Patriots and that a lot of people believe the reason is is that uh, Belichick had a great amount of, a tremendous amount of respect for Shanahan. And the rumor or the, you know, I'm not exactly sure how, how accurate it is, but that after the Super Bowl and, either in the combine or the owner's meeting, Shanahan actually met with Belichick and sat down and said, what did I do wrong? Like, what what caused us to lose this game? Mm. And Belichick apparently spent an hour with him walking him through it and had so much respect for him that when it was time to move Garoppolo, he called Shanahan, you know, do you want him? And it was out of respect for the organization. You know, the 49ers talk about brick by brick. They're building... From the ground up, they've been in a, a bad spot since, you know, right before Harbaugh's last year. But, you know, Shanahan was able to go and learn from this 
the people that were celebrating at his demise. I mean, it was their defeat that they were celebrating. And, you know, that had to be a, a giant slice of humble pie. But the fact that he was willing to do it will likely pay dividends throughout his career. Right. Right. And I think, you know, being being able to be, like you're saying, being humble enough to ask the right questions. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's kind of key. And sometimes our humility isn't going to come out. Sometimes we're just going to be flat out prideful. And yeah. sometimes it's going to require someone on the sidelines yelling, hey, get up, you poor dumb bugger. Get back <laughs> in the game to actually get us there. We can't get up and be upset. We can't get up and be mad. I think we need to just take the idea, the mentality that no people aren't out to get us. Yeah. You know, as a society, everyone has their own trials, their own problems. We're not out to get each other. You know, we're, we're out to help each other. And in some cases, yeah, you get into politics or something like that. And all of a sudden you think, oh, everyone's out to get each other. Maybe, maybe in politics, I can see that. But I think in everyday life, where we are, whatever our belief is, religion, political, whatever it is, whatever our race, class, it doesn't matter, gender, Mm -hmm. we all have each other's back. There isn't a situation, I I mean, I'm a pretty conservative guy, there isn't a situation, if I saw someone in trouble, I'm going to say, hey, is he conservative or is he liberal? (laughs) I'm not going to sit there and question that. I'm going to help. And I think that's 99.999% of people are going to do that because that is how we are created. That's how we're wired is to, is to listen to each other and to help each other. It's when you have the, the outside forces telling us, Hey, don't listen to that. Hey, don't, don't help them. They're this type of person. Don't be that for them. Oh, they're just using this X, Y, Z as a crutch. Don't help them. Let them figure it out. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. You step up. You help each other, you love each other, and uh, you make sure that that life is worth living for yourself and for them. It applies on in life as much as it does on the field or the court or the rink or whatever. It, it doesn't really matter. It applies because a baseball team, you know, you, you love baseball, a pitcher, for the most part, is only as good as his first baseman, shortstop, second baseman, third baseman, outfield. Yeah. Because if he throws a terrible pitch and and the batter hits a wild shot in center field, if you don't have a good outfielder that's willing to dive and sacrifice his body to, to catch it, to get them out, I, I mean, you, you're just flat out not going to be considered a good pitcher, even though you could be great. Well, and it's interesting because I think – you know, I promise we won't focus only on the Dodgers. But um, <laughs> hey, that's all right. Last year, the Rich Hill had a, a perfect game going in. I think into the ninth inning, and then Logan Forsythe got an error, so he lost his perfect game. But he had his no hitter intact. He got through the ninth with it intact, but the Dodgers didn't put up any runs. So you have a zero-zero run or zero-zero game. So they roll him out for the tenth inning to try and keep a no hitter, and he gives up a home run, and he was devastated. You know, but he, they went in and they interviewed him afterwards and talked to him about, you know, talked to his teammates first. And his teammates all, you know, expressed how frustrated they were that they weren't able to get this guy a run um, to give him his no hitter because he had a no hitter through nine innings. I right. mean, he had a no hitter. <laughs> all they needed was one run. 
and they weren't unable to get it. And they talked to Rich and, you know, how was it something, to, do you hold this against? No, I wouldn't hold this against my teammates. You know, I mean, a perfect understanding of being able to do the best that you can do. You know, I think he knew that his teammates were trying to go out and play and, and fight for him. And on the defensive side, you know, I'm sure that they helped him out numerous times in that game to keep his no-hitter alive. But, uh, you know, that the fact that they weren't able to produce on the offensive end, it, it didn't even phase him. Like, to him, he just said, you know, no, I, I know my teammates are going out and, and working hard every day to try and win, and I would never hold that against them. Right. It's just a tremendous outlook on life and i think you know being able to that is a daily challenge for me to understand or believe that other people are actually trying their best because it has to go it has to be a broad spectrum right to really actually be convinced that that's the that's the way life is you have to be able to view it from everything from politics from you know celebrities from athletes from everybody and there are some people that make it very challenging yeah um Definitely. But you have to believe that in order to have set success. And I think that's the key to, to moving forward in life and being able to get over your own trials, your own struggles, to not view the world in such a negative light. And like you said, if you see somebody in, in trouble, you don't sit there. I mean, it's amazing to me how many people are willing to judge other people when they're not in trouble. But when you have someone in trouble, they do not care. Right. You know, what you believe or what's your personal life like or what's, you know, it's we're here to help you in, in any way possible. And I think that's, right. it's a cool thing about society. It's a cool thing you learn about sports because it tends to be that the athletes are able to view the world through that, though, you know, through those glasses are the ones that succeed and make it so much, you know, so valuable to watch them play, um, you know, and, and have success in life. I think, you know, kind of changing the topic a little bit, but I think the other thing is I was having a conversation with my manager uh, the other day. And sports is such a funny thing because you have 32 teams in, in basketball, in the NBA, 32 teams in the NFL, 32 or 30 teams in Major League Baseball. And you have one winner every year. Right. And, you know, he is a, a Dodger fan like me, but he also talked about, we had a conversation about centered on Moneyball and the fact that Billy Bean, I haven't read the book, but I've seen the movie. He, he suggests I read the book, so it's definitely on my list. But the, the, at the end, Brad Pitt, who plays Billy Bean, says to Jonah Hill, you know, we lost. We lost the World Series. And he's like, Billy, you revolutionized the game. I mean, you cannot take away that success from you. And I think it's a situation where every year you see 30 teams and 29 of them go home losers. But every one of them have, usually have a couple of things to go, wow, that was a big success. Right. So even in this world where we look at life through the spectrum of winners and losers, you can take every day a step at a time and go and win every day. And it's immensely important to remember that and to know that so that you don't get discouraged and fall into a funk and panic and lose focus on the, the things that are important in life. And you go and you attack every day the same way Kershaw did after he's going to lose a game one nothing. Right. He's going to get up in the morning. He's going to attack it. He's going to get ready for his next start. He's going to go out and play to his the best of his ability. And that's what makes a champion. It's not actually necessarily whether you win or lose you know, versus competition. It's what you gain from it, where you go from it, and, and what you become. 
And I think that is immensely important. Yeah. In fact, one of the, the things I wanted to share is in one of our, um, one of our team meetings in high school. I feel like Uncle Rico talking about high school football again <laughs> off of Napoleon Dynamite. Coach would have put me in in fourth quarter. We would have won state. I can throw that this ball over them mountains. <laughs> he throws a stake at his face. <laughs> um, was a a thing that was actually. I had the paper at home and I, I forgot it, but it's called Winners versus Losers. Uh, the paper that I had was. Um, it's quoted by the one of the NBA commissioners, former NBA commissioners. But I want to read a few of these. Um, says when a winner makes a mistake he says i was wrong when a loser makes a mistake he says it wasn't my fault Um, a winner makes commitments a loser makes promises a winner says let me do it for you a loser says that's not my job winners say i must do something losers say something must be done Um, winners see the gain losers see the pain Winners are part of the team. Losers are apart from the team. Maybe not all of these apply, but I, I think they're they're all pretty, pretty good. Uh, because I think we all are winners and losers at some point. I mean, we all fall into both of these categories at some point. Winners see possibilities. Losers see problems. Winners believe in win-win. Losers believe for them to win, someone has to lose. Uh, winners see potential, losers see the past. I, and that one is actually really interesting to me because I think of I think of the Chicago Cubs when they won the World Series. For so long, their organization looked at the past. And when I say the past, I'm not talking about the, the long I'm talking about the recent past. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the fan. What was his name? Bartman. Bartman, who <laughs> reached in and... And, uh, Did what any other fan, any other, in any fan. other sport would have, or any other stadium would have done. And the Cubs looked past it. In fact, they looked past it enough that they gave him a ring. They had a ring made for him. I think, yeah, I think they offered it to him. I don't think he accepted. Did he not it, but... take it? Well, that's stupid of him. <laughs> Idiot. Well, when you're ushered out loser. by security. <laughs> So you, well, I mean, uh, that guy had death threats on him. Yeah, they made a 30 for 30 on it. Have you ever oh watched it? Oh, my gosh. No. I, it is, I need to. It's it's too bad because it's a situation where, as a Dodger fan, you know, I'm, I'm watching the NLCS, and I think it was game six. And when the Cubs closed it out, I couldn't help but smile. It wasn't my favorite moment. And I, I wanted the Dodgers to win. But to watch the Cubs get a chance to go to the World Series and then go and break that curse... And play the Indians, where either one of them had a long drought. Right. So either one of them winning the series oh, it would have been was cool for pretty either. cool. Yeah. But I couldn't help but smile for the the Cubs and the Cubs fans. And oh, the, I was stoked. And I am not a Chicago Cubs fan at all. Right. But I was that day. I was a uh, I was a fan. It was hard Fair not weather, to root but for him. I was a fan. It's yeah, it was hard not to root for him. I didn't throw on a Cubs cap the next day. Or I anything did not like either. That. I probably should have. And then claimed I've been a Cubs fan for 20 years, which just isn't true. Um, and the last one, winners make it happen, losers let it happen. So I think that's the key. You know, make it happen, make it happen for yourself. And and that doesn't mean that you have to go out and and make other people be there for you, anything like that. But 
make it happen for yourself to the point where you can allow people to be there for you in your times of struggle, your times of trial. Uh, we see that all the time. It's one of my favorite part of sports is the passion, the absolute passion that comes from a loss. And I'm not even talking about the passion of a win. That passion is is automatic. That passion is given. That passion of, you know, you win a Super Bowl, I'm going to Disney World, that's a given. Mm-hmm. But turn your heads to the other team next time you watch a championship game or a game that means something, a game that your season or your, you know, whatever is on the line, and look at the losing team. Look at the passion that they have when they lose. You're talking about 350-pound pure muscle manly men that can put on a helmet and pads and go out and just cream everybody (laughs) and put their bodies and, frankly, their lives on the line to do it, bawling their eyes out. Yeah. Because they love the game, and it's over for them that season. Yeah. I find that to be the most interesting thing of sports and and to me the best part of sports i remember again going back to my uncle rico (laughs) my uncle rico days when we lost our high school playoff game we played uh highland and we're going into that game no one really felt good about it we all felt we are we were scared let's be honest we were terrified going to that game but we still thought we could win you know it was it was televised and we're thinking wow this is great and we got our trash kicked we got (laughs) I don't even know what the final score was, but I remember being on the field and it was harder for me um, because I had several games before that I had actually uh, hurt my back pretty bad. Um, And so I was not able to walk very well. But after that game, I kept playing because I was an idiot high school student. Um, After that game, I remember it didn't matter that the pain, physical pain didn't matter. All that mattered was looking around at my team and seeing the pain that came from losing and the passion and the love that we had for each other. And I fell on the ground and just cried, just cried. And I realized at that point, this is so much bigger than a game. This is so much bigger than, than me. It's, it's a brotherhood or a sisterhood or whatever hood you want. It's something that brings out passion, love, respect, devotion, you know, in my experience, some of the best people that I've ever known in my life have come from my time playing sports. Yeah. Don't don't have the same experience, but I do know what you're talking about. I think there's a fraternity that's built on a team like that or yeah. sorority or whatever you you know, whatever your team might be, but But you know, the same thing applies. It doesn't just have to be about sports. It can be about your work team. It can be yeah. about you know, we're we're both LDS. We both served LDS missions, and it could be the team that you served with in in France for you, Australia for me. It can be those people you you create lifelong relationships that maybe you won't talk to them in twenty thirty years, but you'll remember them. You'll remember the influence they had on you. Yeah, you go to battle every day for the same goal and trying to you know accomplish the same things, and it's. You know, if if your mind is right, it's without fail. I think that's a lot of, you know, what people are missing when they get kind of caught up in their own, you know, stuff. And I think, you know, for me, the whole experience of, you know, being slammed by social anxiety and allowing it to overcome you to a point where where you're not even sure how you're going to get up and approach the next day. 
and to start to figure out how to manage that and then the lessons that you learn from that and how you deal with people, how you interact with people, you know, how you become more friendly, how you stop judging as much, how you, you know, believe in in others' abilities or others, you know, that they're trying, that they're doing things. It's immensely important to finding that success in life. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with, I think, the, the winner and the loser comments. And I think the thing is, is even if you deem yourself to be a loser, it's very easy to flip the script. Yeah, just just flip it. You just have to rebuild and, and readdress kind of your, your scenario and how you're going to go about it and, and fix it, you know. A, approach the next day looking to be a champion. And all you have to do is win that day or win a portion of that day. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned through my life and, you know, through sports or whatever. If you lose today, you've got tomorrow. You know, every year the teams all line up to play again. Yeah. And there's another hope for another, you know, hopes. They, they always talk about the fan. Every year before the season, everyone's undefeated. Yep. Hope springs eternal. You never know what's going to happen. And, you know, you go out and play the game. I think that's the reason why, you know, 94 teams through baseball, basketball, and football line up every year to play because I think if there were people that actually believed they had no shot, you know, I don't think they'd line up to play. So Right. right. And every year, like you said, those fans, you, it's, it's, a new, it's a new season. It's a new start. And for each of us, every single day is a new start. Right. Every single day, the sun's going to come up. That's the only guarantee that we have, right? That the sun is going to come up the next morning. And how are we going to deal with it? Are we going to wake up? Are we going to get out of bed? Are we going to look in the mirror and look at ourselves and, and challenge ourselves that day? Or are we going to stay in bed and stay down and 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 not allow ourselves to feel? Not right. allow ourselves to feel the good and the bad, the winning and the losing, because we're going to learn from it both all the way, all the way through. And if we're able to do that, we're on the right track. Yeah. If we can get up and, and get to work, and a lot easier said than done. I understand that. But but worth it. Yeah. Very much worth it. Yep. Well, I think that's a good place to end. I agree. So we are the Mormon brothers from Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> we don't bicker and fight like we used to. We're not running over each other's RC cars anymore. <laughs> But we are chin straps and baseball caps, and uh, the goal is to share, you know, as many podcasts with you as we, as as people will want, or as we want to share, and with uh, lessons that we learn from sports, and we'll try and take a lesson, you know, away every week, and kind of apply or look back in history and apply things in the past. But uh, yeah, I think this will be fun to do. I agree. All right, so that's chin straps and baseball caps signing off.